gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe here in this great hall of justice. Superheroes have to be around other superheroes. You know what I mean? That's the Hall of Justice is more about them just commiserating about their powers and less about them like actually fighting crime. So what uh what is this place anyway? Is this some type of fancy DMV? Are you kidding? It's the Hall of Justice. Seth Everett is the best there is at what he does, bub. And what he does is the Hall of Justice podcast. Go, go, go with a smile. Hey, welcome to the Hall of Justice podcast. This is episode 309, and you could say this is the calm in between the storm. Last week, oh my goodness, the feedback for tales of the jedi which is stinking awesome i think i've seen that series three more times since we posted that podcast uh it is that good and next week all the hullabaloo is about black panther wakanda forever so we thought about what we could do during this week and i'll admit this podcast probably should have come out eight weeks ago it's been out for like three months um but i'm gonna not lie i didn't have time to see it and it wasn't that people weren't willing to come on the show to help. And, you know, people have been so helpful with the podcast and all that stuff. But I got to watch the darn thing. And once I did, I'm not going to also lie. Boy, is it slow in the beginning. And then it picks up. And in boy, does it pick up uh, the uh, the Sandman is what we are talking about. Uh, the Sandman is based on the Neil Gaiman comic. Uh, it was a show done by Warner Brothers and in the DC realm, but for some cockamamie reason was on Netflix and have probably had triple the viewership because it was on Netflix. So that's the table is set and uh, we are going to talk about the Sandman and uh, joining us now, I believe this is appearance number three or four, Trace or Quattro, three, this is your third appearance on the Hall of Justice podcast. He is a writer. He is a blogger. He is a podcaster. He is a pop culture extraordinaire aficionado. Uh, he knows this stuff, and he doesn't come on unless there's something that uh, he has a vested interest in. Suara Soleil has been on this podcast for Miss Marvel and the lovely and talented Kamala Khan. And then he came on for the psychopathic but wonderful Umbrella Academy. And now he is joining us to talk about the Sandman. Suara, thank you so much for doing this. Um, boy, you've been jacked up about this show. You loved this show. I'm not going to lie. I, I liked it. I'm not going to rip it. I wouldn't. This isn't going to be one of these harsh debates. What did you <laughs> love about the Sandman? Well, first off, Seth, thank you so much for having me back on again. Delighted to be here as always. You're welcome. I'll let you know, I only recently got into the Sandman series, like the comic and the TV show. I started reading the comic and I I finished it just a few weeks ago. Neil Gaiman's run, that is. And just because of uh, the show coming out, like I saw this cast, I had heard about the Sandman. I was like, this seems really interesting. This seems like something I'd be into. And my friend, I am completely obsessed. This is an amazing universe. I, I again, it's been around for decades at this point. I just like never got into it well, until now. The comic's now. been around for decades. The, the show's comic's been, been around, around for decades, for a right? Couple months, right? Exactly. Uh, and yeah, like with Netflix, like you said, with so many people seeing it, it's just like on such a wider audience. And you know, like we're also recording this in the midst of it being renewed for a second season. You know, Netflix saw those numbers and we're like, okay, we're doing this, and. Okay, but what I love about the Sandman, there's just so much I really love about this. It is, it's psychedelic, it's philosophical, it's a story about stories. It's something that Neil Gaiman, who is probably one of the greatest writers of all time, like poured his heart and soul into. The main character of the Sandman himself looks like Neil, Neil Gaiman. And what I think I love most about this series is that it takes, I was explaining it to a friend the other week, it takes things that are so high concept and philosophical, but 
makes it somehow at the same time of the fundamental nature of being human. And that's something incredible that Gaiman created and that has been translated so beautifully onto the screen. And I'm just, I could just discuss this series. I could just discuss the Sandman universe all day. And I'm just so excited to be here. Well, the, the, okay. So, so there's this universe that they created and the first thing that I'll be honest with you, that didn't do anything for me is the Sandman that I knew was in the justice society. It was Wesley Dodds. Right. And this is a very different Sandman. <laughs> th- that's right. And he, he was like a nothing. He was, he was, he was, he was like a throw in uh, character. And I had read some Justice Society stuff, you know, when around Crisis on Infinite Earths. And, you know, that's my comic book introduction. When Gaiman comes out with the Sandman comic book, I nothing about it appealed to me. Um, it wasn't that I didn't like his work. It was just that, you know, I've told this story before on the podcast. You know, 1996, I was graduating college and I was starting my career and I was reading a lot of comics but I was reading Kingdom Come. I was reading Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Uh, I was reading uh, Nightfall, The Death of Superman, like uh, uh, Hal Jordan going bananas. Like some alternate universe didn't didn't grab me. And when I started watching the show, as we kind of transition to the show, the first episode is world establishing. And I don't know who any of these people are. It's supposedly, according to to what I've read, it's pulled exactly from Sandman number one. So my question right. to you there is, when you know, rather than do episode by episode, do you have to read the book to really appreciate the show? I will say no. I think the show actually does do a good job of introducing new, um, like participants of this universe, people watching or getting into the Sandman universe, because like you say, it is a lot of establishment. It is a lot of explaining of who the main character dream is, what his realm is, how these things function. And it, I I do agree with you. The beginning is a bit slow because it is doing that world building. And I think that like, once it gets really ramped up, you realize like, again, the first one or two episodes is about establishing of what this world is. But once it gets like really gets, uh, increasingly uh racked up like uh especially with the diner episode like oh my god that that's when you really get just right episode five there's 10 of them in the regular and then there's like a bonus episode uh, afterward that came out like a couple weeks over after which is Mm -hmm. very not netflix remember netflix is not you know they don't do do it that way um that's episode five uh beforehand um it's all about like morpheus he's trying to Hmm. Now, here, that's my other question. He, he's Morpheus, but he's also known as Dream. He is goes by Dream many his, names. Yeah. Is Dream, but is is Dream his title or is Morpheus so, his title? And Like, which is his name and which is his role? That's like saying, <laughs> you know, Kal-El is Superman. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. So Dream, also named Morpheus. Morpheus is the name of uh, the king of, sorry, the god of dreams in Roman mythology. Um. Now, he goes by many names. His primary name is Dream. He is one of the seven endless, four of whom we meet during the course of the series. We meet Death, um, Desire, and Despair, along with Dream. And there are seven siblings in total. The other, well, we know two of them. not going to spoil who the seventh one is. That's the prodigal that you hear about. There's Destiny and Delirium as well. So these are essentially like abstract concepts that drive life taken a humanoid form they are effectively immortal and just like dream says at a certain point in the series they exist only because humans or living beings know they exist because they are the fundamental blocks on which life sort of drives itself essentially or how the universe like spins the universe with living being in it spins around and yeah so morpheus is a name given to dream actually it's just it's one of his most famous names um along with the title of the sandman you know the one who makes you go to sleep and you know with his bag of sand and you know also looks like like you mentioned that justice society character earlier 
So that was the original Sandman created along the guy with the gas mask. And then basically that character was given to Neil Gaiman by DC comics. And they were like, okay, do something with this. And Neil Gaiman was like, okay, I have this idea, you know, like, and initially he says in an interview, he brought it to a George R. R. Martin's company at the time, like back in the early nineties, I believe, sorry, late eighties. Um, and George R. R. Martin declined at that time. And so that's when he brought it to DC. And DC had a character also called Sandman. I hope I'm explaining this well. And they sort of like fused them to create the Sandman of the DC universe, which kind of like-, like... That's Hector Hall. Right, right. The son of, of Hawkman, Car- Carter Hall. So yeah, this, exactly. this all ties into Black Adam. No, just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Definitely. Could you imagine this was a spinoff and The Rock shows oh up Oh, my two? God. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> it's very much a part of the DC multiverse. But the thing is, like, the Sandman and the other Endless, they do exist in the DC universe, but they're very much in their own silo. It's almost like being another universe part of the DC multiverse, but not really, because we rarely ever see them, because these are things really created by Neil Gaiman, and he has such incredible creative sway in how they're adapted, so it's still always known as Neil Gaiman Sandman, and there are even titles that have come out from DC in the last uh, few years, including like... Uh, a miniseries written by Miss Marvel writer G. Willow Wilson called um, The Sandman under the purview of the Sandman universe. So it's sort of like a microcosm of DC that has like slight connections to the wider universe. We just don't really see that uh, that often. So that's all the world building. So just so as long as we're on the same same page here, like nothing massive happens in episodes one, two, or three. And to start saying that this show finally catches my attention, I'll tell you the exact situation. We were in the midst of a rainstorm. And in one of the rare occasions, I was home alone. Uh, You know, I have two daughters and I have a wife and a dog, and they're very rarely not somebody in this house. And I was up to episode five and I had been sleeping on this. Like I was like, oh, I got to I got to watch this. Like it just wasn't holding my attention. And it was a rainstorm and everything was dark in my house. And I watched the diner scene um, episode five. And it's not that I'm trying to ignore one, two, three and four, but I don't want to bore listeners. And I wasn't I wasn't that into it. You know, understanding who death is and meeting who Morpheus is great and the acting is wonderful but the acting's wonderful in in all of these episodes the story ramps up once you see that diner scene and then you meet rose that's when this show gets great right well you know for me i love every episode of it but i understand what you mean (laughs) i understand what you mean though it's that like that's when how do I explain it? It's not that things are finally happening. It's more that it sort of like takes the series, it takes its metaphorical hand and like jabs it down your throat to make you feel visceral and uncomfortable and sort of like addresses like the ugliness of humanity in such a profound way. And this is what I mean about like the series being so psychedelic and like really I don't know, like just, it, 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 yeah, I, I totally understand like why that really grabbed me because the diner scene is just like, it's frightening and not simply because of gore, but because of right. how it suspense. interrogates you. Yeah. The suspense and how it interrogates like the audience of like, what are your hidden fears? What are your like uh, truths that you're trying to hide and bury deep down? And it's just like the discomfort of it all is just done so incredibly well. And yeah, the diner scene. Yeah, for, from what I've seen, like of many reviews of the show, it's like people's favorite, and I totally understand why. Yeah, there's it, there's no secret uh, about that. Um, one of the characters in this show is Joanna Constantine. Is that from the show? Because that's supposed to be John Constantine, right? So the thing is, there always was in the both the Sandman comics and Sandman comics you had, and by the way. We should be pronouncing it Constantine because apparently yeah, this yeah, house they, actually they, right, supposed to be pronounced. That. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. But we had um, Matt Ryan on this podcast and he called it Constantine. So I'm sticking with Constantine. Right. 
fair enough fair enough <laughs> so like no but essentially like the main um john constantine was in the sandman comic he's like a main dc character that had this arc with morpheus in the original series but basically because of it all comes down to rights of which characters you can and can't use in DC certain projects and stuff. And I know like that can be annoying, especially for people who want it to be the whole universe to be united. But what they did instead was the ancestor of John Constantine, um, Joanna Constantine, whom we do see during uh, the series, they decided to simply be like, okay, you know what? We're just going to make her descendants um instead of john constantine another joanna constantine so like that's how they sort of split the difference of that and i love jenna coleman so much she just like killed it in her episode she was in and just like i would love a spinoff with her i don't think it's gonna happen but i would just bring out there now help me with the with the story order uh what's the episode where uh morpheus or dream or whoever he is uh meets the woman who talks to you when you die uh death he meets death in episode six that's so that's the next so okay so i'm like sitting at the edge of my seat after the diner scene the diner scene for those of you who don't know and again uh major spoilers here but that's what this podcast is um uh john gets the uh this this ruby and forces people and, and prevents people from being able to lie and they 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 literally it drives them to murder each other it it's one of the creepiest episodes going but then the next episode it's this this amazing lady who just as people die their souls meet her and she has to be the one that says sorry you're done and she does it in such a calming again creepy way but it's it's like the best of horror movies. It's like what horror movies should be not gory. It's not gross. It's not like, I, I don't know. I, I, I felt gripped by it. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. I think we all watching that. It felt gentle. It felt like, and this is how Neil Gaiman described the character of death herself, that She's someone who greets you Kirby with a kind Howell smile. Baptiste. I don't mean to yeah, cut Kirby. you off, but yeah. Yes, exactly. Like... Kirby Howell Baptiste, so brilliant. Love her. And she just like, she incorporates the core aspect of death, like from the comics. It's just, she's someone who gently leads you into the afterlife or lets you know that your time is up. And like she said, she has a job to do. That's you know, nuts. she, Yeah. And it's like, she's active all the time, you know, because death is happening all the time. And there's just so, I just got to tell you, there's so many stories like regarding death and like the other endless. And it's just, there's, it feels like literally like there's an endless amount to say about the, the story and these characters, something else I want to address, like, and you mentioned it, you know, with the Ruby, like not allowing these humans to tell lies the thing about the endless and this isn't really a spoiler but it's that the endless are the incarnation of their own name of what they are but also their opposite so for dream he also uh sort of uh in, in, what's where i'm looking for um sorry he he also represents reality desire also represents um disgust and death represents life they represent their opposites as well as the thing that um they primarily do so it's just that i I think like all the characters in both the comic and the series do so well it's like they exhibit that they exhibit that um one can't exist without the other that sort of yin and yang thing so yeah and kirby did it so well like in her episode as death and love that episode so so good and and it really does have a comic book feel because these episodes mm-hmm. they string together and like you have to watch them in order but it's not serial to, it's not totally serial in nature like episode five and episode six are very different it's the same characters to mm-hmm. an extent you, you, you agree with that yeah, absolutely. It's the same characters, but they're put in different situations, like in each episode. Mainly the character of Dream is put in different situations with different sets of characters. It's like, um, and that's very much how the Sandman is in the comic. It's like, 
he's the main protagonist going through like all of these various characters and situations that he has to deal with. And, you know, I would say like, it's, it's not exactly to the series detriment. It's like, but you know, I would just love like them to be more than guest stars. For example, Kirby is only a guest star in this episode because like, that's how much her role is, even though we are going to see death more in season two, along with the other endless. Um, but there's such a variety to the Sandman as well. That's what makes it like really great to watch is that you're always going to get something new, like a box of chocolates as it were. <laughs> cute um speaking of casting can we mention mason alexander park oh they are amazing and they only have a few brief scenes but they make the most of it it's just it's so good they're so amazing as desire the funny part is they are in quantum leap Mm -hmm. and that their voice is very very catching um yeah uh, they played a major role in Cowboy Bebop, which is on uh, Netflix. I thought they were in a lot of other uh, animated things. I uh, That's just the, the vibe that I got. I thought I had heard that character before. Um, Desire is a much better role, in my opinion, because it's made for a person who's non-binary. Whereas Absolutely. in Quantum Leap, it, it it's irrelevant. You know, that, that that part of it has nothing to do with the story. So it's just there because the actor's there. It's the same conversation we had about uh, Elliot Page. It, it It's not enhancing the story. Whereas in Desire, like that character is made to be gender neutral, correct? Right. The character is made to be gender neutral and gender fluid. They are like the... Because it's funny, like the way that... um the character of desire like sort of evolved from the comic to the screen because in the comic when neil game was writing it there wasn't really as much of the language for uh non-binary or transness so he wrote desire as being a uh brother sister a man woman a you know like just using but or instead of using they them pronouns they just said it he just used it actually is that so from we've the like comic? come is that That's from, from the, the comic, comic. exactly, Got exactly. It. So, like, thankfully, we've come a long way where, like, you know, we can more appropriately, like, say they, them, and the the thing about desires, like, they just they are desire itself. Like, they are supposed to represent what anyone would want, and they also just are insatiable. They just want anything and everything they can. They get tunnel vision on what it is that they want to do even when it's to the point of yeah, destruction it's, it's or their other siblings casting yeah it, it's absolutely. remarkable casting absolutely but 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 you know it, it reminds me of the conversation we had about elliot page which to me again seeing them in quantum leap i i, I just want to understand like it, it just feels like they just picked different types of people to round out this cast and it, it it doesn't have like none of their backstories are fleshed out you don't know who any of them are um except for magic in quantum leap uh played by ernie hudson because his character technically was in the original series you know what i mean like you don't know who any of these other people are and it doesn't really matter whereas when i saw them in this i was like oh my god this is perfect and what perfect casting Yeah, absolutely amazing casting. And Mason actually, like, initially, I mean, they auditioned, of course, but they actually tagged Neil Gaiman in the first place, asking, oh, has Desire been cast yet? They wanted it from the beginning, and I'm so happy. Oh, on like social media? That's, yeah, on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. That is tremendous. I didn't know. I didn't know that. That's really funny. Um, It's pretty wild. Okay. So then you get to uh, meet Rose. Uh, explain to me, because you're doing such a brilliant job of this, uh, who Rose is and Lida, what is her role in this whole thing? Because she seems unsuspecting until it goes to the crescendo, which is, you know, she kind of re-meets her, her dead husband. Yeah. So... <laughs> By the I'm way, like so glossing fun... over that fact. No, no, not at all, because there's just so much to include. Um, So fun fact about Lyda Hall, 
her full name from the comics is actually Hippolyta Hall, and she is the daughter of Wonder Woman. Oh. <laughs> Basically the daughter of Golden Age Wonder Woman. And it's like, I don't think she is like in this like Netflix version, but <laughs> no way. Okay. Yeah. 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 So there are a lot of connections here. Um, but on Rose. I thought Walker, it was just like, oh, what a comic booky name. That's what I right. thought. Right. Like, oh, that's such a there... comic booky name. Like, you know, why would you not call her Jill? You're gonna call her Lida. <laughs> oh, because it's a comic book right. show. Like that's it's that's a comic book show, very much so. Um, no, the thing about uh Rose Walker is like so she's just you know, she's from a um really broken household, a really tragic background for both her and her brother, and but there's more to the story there when it comes to her great grandmother in the comic. It was actually just her grandmother, but um, yeah, it's um, basically she is this concept called a dream vortex and right. like dream says, in show, in right. right, right. And like dream she says in the crossover show, from one world to the other, from the dreaming to the real world and back. And, it's um unfortunately we don't they, like the endless just don't know why dream vortexes exist they all that is known is that dream has to destroy them unless they end up consuming the entire world but thankfully you know it turns out not to be rose it turns out that because she's a descendant of unity kincaid it, it gets confusing but and the thing is like even though these are confusing concepts what I love about the show and with the way they write and how they act out these uh, characters is that there's such a direct sincerity to it. They take it seriously in the best way possible without it getting into comical territory. It's just like, it just tells the audience, we trust you. Please just accept that this is a weird concept that we have to deal with. And we're going to treat it seriously as seriously as it should be. So it just like really, um, yeah, like with the way Rose is played and the way like um she has to deal with this, it's like it, it's understandable and it feels like human enough, like where she would like want to save her friends and want to save like her friends like dream baby, you know, a, a baby right. that was conceived in the dreaming. And right, 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 right. You know, like which it's is also wild. Which is wild, absolutely. With the essentially the ghost of light is dead husband right. and you know, making the point that we are not meant to live in dreams. We're meant to address. And by the way, to, shout out to the actress playing Lida, who who is a Lebanese Lebanese actress, uh, Razan Jamal. Love her. She's fantastic. Um, you know, she desperately wants to have a happy life. She's still desperately grieving. But again, we cannot live in dreams. We have to face reality for what it is. And you know, without spoiling anything, there's a lot more fallout from this that will come in future stories of the Sandman. And they are, I'm not going to say, you know, what they are, but I will just say that they are absolutely You're not saying wild. because they're coming in season two, you're saying? It would be probably more like a season four or five, oh. you know, hopefully if they get to that point. And that's the thing as well. Like the first season, if you've read the comic then you'll understand if you read the entire like graphic novel series um or if you you just look it up on wikipedia or something but still like i, I highly suggest people read the comics because they are absolutely brilliant um you'll see how the seeds are planted for what will happen next and that's what you know really makes a sandman as a graphic novel series stand at the test of time it's heralded as one of the greatest like graphic novels ever written because Neil Gaiman just wrote something so absolutely brilliant. It's there's a reason it's considered his magnum opus. So, and the way like he was able to be involved in the creation of the show, you know, step by step, like he is essentially a co showrunner, has just been beautiful. I love this so much for him and the whole cast and crew. Which is the episode where he um he meets the guy uh, every hundred years. 
that is Hob Gatling. And that's also in episode six, like uh, sort of at the halfway point after we meet right, death, right, right, we meet right. someone who death and dream decide to make a bet on like, okay, well, how about this guy who will just have him never die and see how he is every hundred years. That's and crazy. the actor, by it's and the a, actor, by the crazy concept. It is. Yeah. And the actor, by the way, is Reginald Kingsley, who's the son of famous British Indian actor, uh, Ben Kingsley. Oh, really? Yeah. I found that out the other day. The fake, the fake Mandarin. <laughs> yes. the fake Mandarin. <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, that oh, God, me, you, so you know that's a callback to early episodes of the podcast. That was, um, uh, that, that was Iron Man three. And that was, uh, one of the first times I ever went on a rant, uh, about a comic book movie, um, because I thought it was such an insult to, to the Mandarin, to have him be an alcoholic actor. You know, I like I I fell There were so many missed opportunities in Iron Man 3, man, well, don't get funny, me started. The funny part about it is after that, you know, the movies kept getting more and more popular. This is all pre uh COVID. And we were would would be invited. I've told this story on the podcast before. We we would be invited to the uh, Marvel uh screenings because my wife used to work for Marvel. And when the Iron Man 3 review came out, I crushed that movie. <laughs> I destroyed that movie. And they literally came over. Two executives from Marvel came over to me after I want to say it was one of the movies after. It could have been Winter Soldier or something. And just said, could you wait until the movie's released before you crush it? <laughs> so when you say Ben Kingsley, I think of him as fake Mandarin. You know, that's his one of his most famous recent roles. So I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and, man. And no, but that's uh, it's re- pretty wild. Um, It comes to this crescendo. Uh, The scenes I you know, I'm a sucker for kid scenes, you know, having having two kids Um, when Rose and uh, Jed are separated. The brother, uh, they kept showing that flashback scene and it got me every time. Um, yeah, anytime kids are separated, it it drives me nuts. They did that on Stargirl. I don't know if you're watching Stargirl. When they have uh the the, the daughter of Alan Scott and uh the son who's obsidian and uh they're they're separated, you know, as children, and every time it gets me. Like every every time it gets me. It, when they did it in the Sandman, it gets me. I, I just want kids' lives to not be as impacted like that. Like the only kid that's life I'm comfortable watching get uh, uh, uprooted is Bruce Wayne. Cause I've seen that 7,000 times, but like when kids get separated, when Rose and Jed are separated, that, that gets emotional. Yeah, absolutely. And the actors played it so well and just showing that brutal reality of the abuse that, um, the brother Jed had to face, you know, like in that home. And just, I think this, again, what the Sandman does so well is that this is a story about dreaming about a Lord of dreams, but it also shows the visceral heartbreaking reality that is in humanity as well. And it just strikes that balance so well and just makes you constantly feel for these characters. And I just, yeah, I I really love this show. If you haven't watched it yet, please watch it. I haven't spoiled. We haven't spoiled too much for y'all listening. No, no, Just, no. I look. Yeah. The, 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 you know, people <laughs> click on this podcast. They know. You know, they know that we're 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 spoiling it. Um, the uh, serial killer convention is uh, uh under the guise that of was a, so wild. of a serial convention. <laughs> yeah. That was funny. like what kind of cereal are you talking about so that scene when fiddlers green and rose increasingly find out what's going on and like stephen fry's character fiddlers green like he just like is looking in on these like talks (laughs) it's both morbid and hilarious and just oh no but it was like but at this point you're hooked like at this point you're exactly totally in on this show um at at that point it's funny that his character is named uh fiddler's green uh fiddler's green is an outdoor amphitheater concert hall in colorado right outside of denver oh cool Uh, um and it's where uh it's one of the places i saw prince uh in the course of my career so by episodes eight nine and ten 
you are in a full on comic book. Like it's like there's a cast of characters. It's uh the 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 other guests of the hotel who you meet. Uh, it's Lita. It's Rose. It's it's it, you know you have all of these different situations. You have Corinthian, who's played brilliantly, by the way, and spooky ass eyes. And I like that he was wearing sunglasses. Boyd all Holbrook time. is so good. Like it, just like the production value of this show is so great. Yes, yes. But again, the Corinthian. It's just like you know this dude is evil. This like nightmare is evil or was corrupted somehow. And he's doing like these terrible things and he helped like dream be incarcerated. But I just want to know the Corinthian has a much smaller role in the comics, but in the show he's given much more expanded and I'm so glad they did. And he's just so, he hooks you so much. He hooks you with his eyes of teeth. Oh my God. That's so spooky. It's so spooky spooky. and so good. (laughs) And the whole idea at this point, uh, you just you're rooting for them, you know. Again, the abuse of kids, I can't, I that I hate that, but I, you know, I liked it, but I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I understand from a drama standpoint, and you want him to get away, and he gets away eventually, and uh, that's pretty wild. And, um, you know, it it all goes through, and it comes to a pretty nice conclusion at the end of ten, right? Like the 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 thing about this idea. The book goes on a lot further. Um, episode 10 is adapted from the comic books ep- issues of 14 and 16, but there's a lot more. And technically the 11th episode, this bonus episode is from episodes 17 and 18 from the comic. So it just keeps going on. So I would imagine if you're wondering about season two, just read on. Absolutely. It almost feels as though the stories are endless, right? <laughs> endless. <laughs> I made it funny right there. Oh, I see. I, I see where you go there. Ah, I got it. Ha-ha. Um, do you know why this show was sold to Netflix? So Neil Gaiman has been trying, and DC, have been trying to have the Sandman be adapted for basically over 30 years. And there were multiple attempts made at a film, and that Neil Gaiman basically hated all the scripts that they made. The adaptations just weren't good in the writing, and it just was a long path. As I understand it, they eventually settled on a pitch that they really liked with Netflix, and this was before HBO Max really became a thing. And right, as we thought. know, right, and as we know, like. Uh, H- Warner Brothers Discovery is like outletting more of its series out there because, you know, Zaslav's cost-saving measures would be better. He he would think it would be better if like they outsource it to like who a Hulu or Netflix, etc. Like uh, such it's as they're kind doing of a with shit Batman. Show, to be honest with you, yeah, <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. Um, it it's it, it's i mean it's falling apart at, at the seams and you know everybody's hopeful you know you know my whole thing about uh you know where warner brothers is is it's just it's been rudderless for so long and that you have mm. to corral this stuff and you know there's this and too debate. many changing of corporate hands right but but the debate is really are 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 they cleaning house or are they just expanding on this thing you know mm. i i had many issues with black adam um, you know, is this connected? Is, is the Sandman connected to, to this in any way? You know, where, what's the vision to the, this whole thing? You know, is Amanda Waller pulling all the strings? Is Viola Davis a part of this? Is is the idea to continue what Zack Snyder had started and just expand on it and grow from it? Or is it to start over? And that's I think it's where... Real- that, that no well, no one knows yeah. no, no, this is no offense to James Gunn or any of the people who are mm. in charge now they, I, I'm sure they're trying but what they did was they took a bunch of crap and they made it hysterical and it's called Peacemaker right Peacemaker was from the Suicide Squad which was the second Suicide Squad movie made that may or may not have anything to do with each other right and it takes place in a world where Viola Davis is still Amanda Waller. So it's in continuity with Batman v Superman and Justice League and all this stuff. 
And now you have this project and you have the Arrowverse and you have all these different things coming out of left field. And all I'm saying is, does any of this happen with Marvel? With Marvel, is there any debate that She-Hulk counts in continuity? Is there any debate that the Netflix shows count in continuity? No. Everybody knows what everybody knows. And here comes another like slider just coming at you and you're just supposed to take it. But here's my actual pushback to it. Sure. So I understand the merits of a shared universe, of a shared continuity. But dude, I got to tell you, I've been getting really tired of the interconnectivity of the MCU. I really think that an MCU... We've had this discussion before regarding Miss Marvel. It's like of having like more connections or what level you do, how it fits in the wire universe... But honestly, I've gotten to the point where I just want a really good story. I don't need it to always be connected to whatever else is going on. Or, you know, if there's a potential for like a crossover later on, I would love something like that. But what I think has always been DC strength is having is the DC multiverse is having a virtually endless array of different ways of telling the classic DC stories and with the Sandman it's just another part of the DC multiverse and I love that I love that like it can have like that slight connection but not like the overburden but you know we were talking earlier about like you know Lyda Hall being Wonder Woman's daughter at the end of the day I don't really need that I just need a great deeply compelling story that happens to be from a DC one of the most famous DC comics but I don't need to relate to other DC characters I love. What I really want, and I honestly do trust that James Gunn and Peter Safran will succeed in making a United DC universe. And I love James Gunn's vision for um, like DC films overall. Like I think he really shines there. But when it comes to like, I hope that they can do that, like as well as have like stories that still allows to stick out on their own. You know what I mean? They're all going to be under the purview of DC studios, but I do trust that they will like still have like stories that don't have to be connected as well. You know, I think there can be a balance in that sense. No, I I think that's fair. I think, you know, my example that I'm using is I love that they took, you know, D level characters in peacemaker and made compelling television. You know, the Sandman is compelling television and it doesn't have to be uh, all connected. What, what DC has been, is vision less. And the one thing I've said about Marvel, because there are some things that Marvel's put out that I haven't loved and, you know, vice versa. There's been things about Marvel that I've absolutely loved. And all I feel like it is, is big chapter uh, chapters of a large book. That's, that's the way, you know, it is. And if iron fist, isn't your favorite thing, well, turn the page. The next chapter will be. And that's the way I felt. Whereas DC is like a library. It's all a bunch of stuff. And it's all over the place. And yeah, I, I want to see, you know, Sandman season two, which was great. I thought it was hysterical. Like the minute we scheduled this podcast, uh, it got renewed, which I thought was very apropos. And, you know, they can do 10 seasons. But I would imagine Warner Brothers, if it's a massive success, Warner Brothers is going to want it on HBO Max, just like they, they renegotiated all the deals to get Flash and Arrow and Supergirl and Legends of Tomorrow and all those shows coming out in, 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 in on onto HBO Max or whatever their new app is, which well, you see that's a th- which supposedly they're going to charge an arm and a leg for. Right, but you see that's the thing. Like as I understand it, it is in some cases more cost effective for them to do the outletting to other like streaming services like Netflix. Like they get the. Um, they sell out the um, royalties essentially and Netflix does all of the costs and production, but you know, they're still like the ones getting money from it. So it's like a sort of win-win in that way. Um, I, I do understand, like, I would love for everything to just be on HBO max, but I think what we've seen in David Zaslav's like caught quote unquote cost cutting measures with HBO max is that, we're starting to reach the peak of the streaming bubble where 
these companies and these are companies at the end of the day, they are producing this content for us to consume, but they don't want to do anything that's not going to make them a bottom buck at the end of the day. So I think we may a be seeing something more that resembles cable. Like we've seen before, we know that Disney plus, for example, is racking up their prices for their service. Um, and B, I think we may see like less centralization of certain properties on certain streaming services. Hmm. So I guess we'll see. We'll see how it goes. In the meantime, I'm just like, I'm just so happy I have the Sandman. <laughs> well, it, look, the Sandman is it, it, it's quite a show. I mean, and and it was it was definitely something that, that hooks you. Um, like I've said to a lot of people, if you start it, I remember tweeting. Uh, this is when Twitter was a safe place. Um, I I remember tweeting, um, you know, what's the hook on this show? And I had watched like the first two and I'm like, I feel like I needed note cards. Like I wanted to study, like, who's this guy? And who's this guy? And who's this person? And what's she do? And the librarian. It is a very Then the guy show. turns into a bird and, and, and it sounds like the dude from Goldberg's. And it was, it was like all this stuff was happening, but then it hooks you. And between five and six, it, it it does the perfect idea of five is the diner scene, six is the the death scene, which is nuts. Plus the guy that can live, you know, every hundred years, where his life goes in ups and down and ups and downs. And I, I thought that was genius. And then you meet Rose, and once you meet Rose, you're 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 in for the ride. Then it's binge, like then you're watching it as as fast as you humanly can, which is a great feeling to have in this era of streaming services. You want to watch things right away. I I know people who are watching Andor. Uh, and they're waiting for them all to be out so they can watch it all together. And I totally get it because like, as soon as you're done with Andor, you can't, where's the next one? Like, well, get me the next one as fast as you can. <laughs> um, That's is amazing. it on the level? Is it on the level with modern day superhero type shows? Is it on the level of the boys? Is it on the level of umbrella Academy? Jupiter's Jupiter's legacy any of the Marvel stuff. It's it, it's on the level of all those things, right? Absolutely. And better than a lot of the, the, it, those that are on right now, I would say. I've just like, it just like feels so refreshing because he, here's my thing, Seth. I want weird stuff. The more weird stuff, the better. Give me more doom patrol give me more the sandman give me more the boys give it's so good i love it so much to show that Um, you need to be high to understand (laughs) um give me more uh umbrella academy give me more loki even though loki could have been weirder see like my frustration with disney and marvel is that like it's all within the confines of the very strict confines of their universe. And I feel as though the streamlining of it doesn't allow for like the full creativity of the Marvel comics they could really have. But with DC as, you know, as unorganized as it's been, they've been running wild with imagination. And I love that. And again, why I am so excited that James Gunn and Peter Safran are at the helm they produced two of my all-time favorite, not just DC, but comic adaptations ever in the Suicide Squad and Peacemaker. More of this, please. More of this tone. And just like, he he also keenly understands not to take this too seriously. And that's what's so refreshing, for example, in Marvel with the Guardians of the Galaxy films. He doesn't take yeah. it too seriously and just like has a lot of fun with it. Embr- embr- he embraces the comic book nature of it. And I'm just... I'm more hopeful for the future of DC overall than I have been in a while. And I love that the Sandman is being adapted at the same time. And it's just, I'm a very happy DC fan at the moment. So I'll just let you know that. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, it's a good time uh, to be uh, a Sandman fan. There's no secret about that. Uh, Suarez, how can people follow you on social media as if they, they, you know, they, they haven't listened yet to Ms. Marvel or the Umbrella Academy. I'm on Twitter at Spider Swars. I'm on Instagram at Swarzy underscore eight. I am you a writer and off podcaster. Yet? Not yet. I like the first episode we've done since. Uh, yeah. Since Twitter's starting to fall apart. You know, I feel like I'm just going to be there as the ship is starting to sink. So I'll just be the Titanic violinist playing that sad tune. So <laughs> I will tell you earlier this week was election day and. Mm. 
when I got up, I had to get up early uh, for my 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 A job. I was doing sports reports uh, for iHeart. And as I was getting ready, I wanted to know who won uh, Pennsylvania and who won in Georgia and who won Arizona, you know, and some we know and some we don't. But my first destination was still Twitter. And so right. as long as that's the case, I'm still going to use it for what I'm using it for. I will say on and I've said this on other podcasts. I'm not paying a penny to stay verified. That's insanity to me because that's 100%. not proving what verified is. And I Googled and I searched. There still are three fake accounts of me. So, you know, that that's fine. If 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 you want to take my verification away, go for it. Have fun. But then there are people who follow the fake accounts of me just like that. I know. Like that, that's a real thing. And so the verification process has a point and I don't understand that's not a moneymaker, you know, and then I read that it could be grandfathered. And by the time you're listening to this podcast, Twitter might not exist anymore. Who who knows what's going on? Who it's knows? It's just a big circus. We're just living day by day for it, but follow me on Twitter while it's still around. <laughs> I still am like too much on it. And uh, I am a... I am a writer uh, for Nerds of Color and uh, other websites like io9 and Primetimer, like I freelance for, and I am the host of the Middle Geeks podcast, where my co-host May and I are two Mina slash Swana fans discussing anything and everything relating to Middle East, North African representation in media. So check us out on the Nerds of Color podcast network and just follow us there. Perfect. Well, uh, Swara, thank you so much uh, for joining us again. The Sandman is out on Netflix, and uh, we weren't paid to tell you that, but you can find it and watch it and enjoy it. And uh, let us know what you think. Hit us up on the iTunes page or on social media. And uh, if you have a complaint about Sandman, do me a favor. Just tweet at, at Suara because uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I got nothing. I, what, what am I going to say? I will say? answer he's, all your he's questions. The one who's gonna, he's going to give you chapter and verse. That, that, that's what will happen there. It- and you know you can also like as long as you're polite at Neil Gaiman and he'll probably respond he'll to you. He'll probably he's respond to on yeah. social media. Yeah. <laughs> you mean future Hall of Justice guest Neil Gaiman? Somehow, somehow we're getting him on. All right, that'll do it for this episode. Next week, Wakanda Forever. It'll be the uh, Black Panther review that's coming up next week right here, and then the week after Thanksgiving week, it's Andor. So uh, a big, big month for the uh, Hall of Justice podcast. Uh, subscribe, then it comes to your podcast app uh, just like that. Magic! We'll see you then. Believe it or not.